Well, today we are finishing something. We're finishing the series where we look at several titles of Jesus. So we've been a lot of places in the Bible. We've talked about Jesus as the Lamb of God. We've talked about Jesus as a Savior. We've talked about uh, Jesus as the Son of Man. Now, today we're talking about one of the most common titles for Jesus, and that is Lord. In fact, in the New Testament alone, the word Lord used to describe Jesus is used over 600 times. Six, zero, zero. This is a common uh, way to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so can you imagine as a preacher trying to figure out what passage I'm going to select out of 600? to talk about what it means for Jesus to be the Lord? Well, here's what I wanted to do. I I wanted to pick the one out of John chapter 20. Here's why. Well, first of all, I love the passage, okay, honestly. (laughs) But secondly... This is the passage, if, if you're familiar to, to the Christian faith and you grew up studying the Word of God, you probably remember a guy by the name of Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas was one of the disciples that did not see when the rest of the disciples saw the resurrected Jesus. Now, can you imagine being the one that got left out there? Have you ever felt left out? Has friends or family ever gone to a restaurant and didn't invite you? Do you remember how salty you felt about that? Do you remember how bitter you felt for not being invited? Well, think about Thomas, right? And so they tell Thomas, Thomas, we saw Jesus. He's been resurrected. And you remember what Thomas says. He says, I'll believe it when I see it. Now, that's my rough translation. Literally, we're going to look at this in a, in a moment, but literally he says, I'll believe it when I touch the wounds that Jesus received on the cross. Well, he did experience Jesus. And as we're about to discover, his response was remarkable because he said two things to Jesus. He said, my Lord and my God. And so we're picking the scripture today because it helps for us to understand on for us, even in the year 2019, what to expect in today's world when somebody experiences the resurrected Jesus. Now, this may be new for you. You may be new to the Christian faith and this may be blowing your mind a little bit and and making you a little bit afraid. Like, what do you mean experience the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. I thought going to church was just about singing songs and teaching doctrine out of the Bible. Oh, no. (laughs) Our faith is about being connected to living God. And I want you to know that if you're new to the Christian faith, the most glorious thing is that us, people who have messed up royally, people who, who don't have innocent backgrounds, people who have dropped the ball, lived a rebellious and sinful life, we, because of His mercy, get the incredible privilege of experiencing God. It's not a cold doctrine. It's a living faith. And Thomas got to experience it in John chapter 20. So look with me, if you would, in John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29, 
Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see, uh, unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails, and I place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now some of you get squeamish. And so I don't want to dwell on this too long, but I want you to just comprehend what he's saying. He's saying, unless I have such an intimate moment with Jesus, that I am literally close enough that I can take my finger and stick it into the hole where they crucified him, I will not believe that Jesus rose from the dead. That's what he's asking for. So this leads me to a point. It's a free point. It's not on the screen. It's not in your notes. But here's the free point for this morning. Be careful what you ask for. (laughs) Be careful what you ask for. You know, I talk with people often who are atheists and agnostics, and I ask them the question, what would you have to experience in order for you to believe in the existence of an intelligent God that made us with intentionality and with purpose? And oftentimes, well, I have to experience him. I have to have this evidence. I have to. And I say, well, are you willing to find that? Are you willing to take the steps to find that information? You see, if we have a true searching heart and we're saying, God, I want to know the truth. He will show us the truth. And this scripture, it demonstrates that principle. Thomas says, I want to experience Jesus. Verse 26 says, eight days later. His disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and he said, Peace be with you. Now again, we're going to get to what it means to to say Jesus is Lord. But I just want to speak this into your life. If you are here today struggling with your faith, if you're working through what it means to be a follower of Jesus, If you're here today with skepticism, with difficulty believing what it is that I preach and the Bible teaches, here's what I want to say to you. Jesus doesn't hate you because you don't believe. The very first thing that Jesus says to Thomas when he's in front of him is peace be with you. I want you to know that even if you're not a follower of God, The heart of God wants you to find peace in Him. He loves you, all right? He loves you. So Jesus presents Himself to all of the people. He says, peace be with you. And then He said to Thomas, notice Thomas got some extra attention here. You know, he got left out the first time. So he gets a little extra attention here. And Jesus says to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him. Before we look at this, have you ever been in a quiet moment and somebody scream real loud? Has that ever happened to you? Maybe at a restaurant, somebody says something funny and then somebody just flies off the handle and starts cackling and you're just as embarrassed as you can be. Listen. They're in this moment. They're in this, they're in this room together. And there's an exclamation point after what Thomas says. I mean, he gets loud. 
He is energized. This is life-changing moment for Thomas. My Lord and my God is what he exclaims. Jesus affirms him and he says to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. So the question this morning, if it's true that in the word of God, the title Lord is used to describe Jesus over 600 times, we need to understand what it means, right? So the very first thing that we have in our notes this morning is, what does it mean, this title Lord for Jesus? Well, it means supreme ruler or master. It means a supreme ruler or master. Supreme in authority, supreme in every situation that you could possibly think of. To say that Jesus is Lord means in my own personal life that Jesus is supreme in authority. He is my master. There's no area of my life that his influence is not placed upon my life. There's no decision that I make, whether big or small, public or private. There's no activity that I engage in in which his way should not be considered. If Jesus is Lord of my life, then He is the master of my life. It means that He is supreme in authority in every single possible way. Now, this scripture, although it's short, says a lot. And you see this morning that we're going to do two main things. We're going to glean from the Word of God what exactly does it mean to accept the Lordship of Jesus. We're going to let Thomas teach us that. And then we're going to talk about some practical steps so that if you were to get hungry this morning to make Jesus the Lord of your life, or if you are a believer and you would say, there's some areas of my life that I really want to come under the Lordship of Jesus more. In other words, here's some spots that I really feel like I'm faithful to God, but there's some areas where Jesus is, I'm just, Jesus is not being Lord in my life. In other words, if I want Jesus to be Lord of my life, what are the steps that I can take? They're practical steps. There's steps that all of us can do. And I want for us to end with that this morning because I don't just want you to understand that Jesus is Lord. I want you to have the tools and the skills that you need to really live in that idea that Jesus is Lord. But first, let's talk about what it means to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. I think you saw this in the Scripture, but accepting Jesus and and His Lordship is a natural outflowing of experiencing Jesus. When you look in the scripture, time after time, people who experience Jesus begin to follow him. They begin to respond to his commands. They they begin to listen to him. They begin to, to serve him instead of serving themselves. And so accepting the lordship of Jesus is a natural response to experiencing Jesus. Question, is it the only response? No. Because there are also people in the Bible when Jesus had his earthly ministry that would experience Jesus and his power or his sovereignty and they would rebel or they would reject the Lord. They would be frightened of the Lord and they, they wouldn't receive him as Lord. You see, but, but this morning, if your heart is hungry for truth, I believe this. I believe that hearts that are hungry for truth and experience Jesus surrendering to his lordship is something that will come quite naturally. Now, I didn't say easily. And I, I didn't say that it was 
a, a perfect surrender the first time that you try it. But what the point that I'm making is when Thomas experienced Jesus, the first thing out of his mouth was, my Lord. And notice he didn't say the Lord. He said my Lord, right? When Peter experienced Jesus and Peter had been fishing all night and caught nothing, I identify with that really well. And Jesus said, look, if you'll put out over there, uh, you'll, you'll catch a load of fish. And he does that. And he brings the fish to shore. Incredible story. Go and st- if you've never read this, go and study this. So many fish that he had to get his friend's boat to catch them all. Now, that's the type of fishing trip I want to be on. When they came to shore, everybody was amazed. Peter fell at his feet. And he said, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Just like Thomas, Jesus spoke peace into his life. He said, do not be afraid, but follow me. And from now on, you'll be fishers of men. You see, when we experience Jesus, it's natural for us to understand his lordship, his supremacy over all the earth, especially in our life. Now, the second thing that I want you to know about accepting Jesus as Lord, and in a sense, this may be a deterrent for some of you. You may listen to this next point and you may say, I don't really know that (laughs) I want to sign up for that. Well, I want to be honest with you and tell you what it means. Sometimes it's costly. Do you know what Thomas, you know what it cost Thomas that day to say that Jesus is my Lord and my God? It cost him everything. Because from that moment on, he was different for the rest of his life. He no longer served his own will. He no longer made his own direction. He no longer set his own vision for his life. When he said, my Lord and my God, he was surrendering everything to Jesus. Now, I I want for you to realize this in all fairness, right? This phrase, Jesus is Lord... When it, when it really, in the first century, when it started be, being used, Jesus is Lord. When Thomas began saying Jesus is Lord and Paul, one of the first writers of the New Testament, started writing about Jesus being Lord, the authority struggled with that because Caesar is Lord. That's what everybody would say. Caesar is Lord. So when these Christians, when these followers of Jesus began to say, Jesus is Lord, what they were saying is that Caesar is not. And they were saying that my first allegiance, when I say that Jesus is Lord, my first allegiance is to Him and His kingdom. And it, and it cost them. You probably don't know any Caesars <laughs> besides the salad. Right now, I wish I had not told that joke. (laughs) Bad dad joke, right? Caesar, okay? Caesar. Because Caesars demand to be worshipped. And when those people who had experienced Jesus began to say, Jesus is Lord, they did so at the risk of their life. That's 
how convinced Jesus they were that Jesus had walked out of the tomb. Now, is it going to cost you your life? Probably not. But my goodness, can you see that that connection between the fact that making Jesus Lord of my life could cost me some things in this life. Another thing that I want you to understand about Jesus being Lord is that this is God's will. You receiving Jesus, not only as Savior, and praise God if you do, but oftentimes we separate that category, don't we? We we say, accept Jesus as your personal Savior. But what we preachers have not done a great job of in the last 20 years is to remind people that when you receive Him as Savior, you receive Him as Lord. It is the will of God for all creation to submit and to yield and to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. That's God's will for our life. So it's a natural response to experiencing the resurrected Jesus. Accepting the Lordship of Jesus is costly and can be costly. And accepting the Lordship of Jesus is the will of God. And the fourth thing I want to say before we turn the corner is this. Accepting the Lordship of Jesus is the most transformational thing you could ever do in your entire life. It will transform you. That can be startling. Can I just say this? Being transformed by the Spirit of God can be a very startling experience. Were you listening to the testimony? Some of you know her as Jane. Some of you know her as Janie. I'm talking about the same person. We didn't baptize two people this morning. One person. When Janie was sharing her testimony, she said, at one point, she said something to the effect of, I was a little afraid, and I didn't know what to expect when God was working in my life. Perfect articulation of the point that I'm making. That when you accept Jesus as your Lord, He begins to work in your life. And sometimes, although we're not happy with it, our broken and chaotic life is predictable. And we're comfortable with it because we know it. And when things start to change, it it shocks us a little bit. And we struggle with the new things that God is doing in our life. We start to love the things of God a little bit more. And it shocks us and it surprises us. Uh, we start to take on the heart of God. And it, and, it, and it shocks us because we're being transformed. And sometimes, even when it's good transformation, it's something that we struggle with because it's new for us. Accepting the Lordship of Jesus is transformational. It changed Thomas's life. It changed all the disciples' life. And for thousands and thousands of years, receiving the Lordship of Jesus has continued to transform lives. The question is, how does it transform my life? Now you see, if you're following in your bulletin, if you're the note takers, you see that we're going to talk about some key steps before we do that. I want to just pause and I want just for a moment to talk about not how, but some areas of our life that in our culture, in our context, we need to be thinking about, am I surrendering my life in this area to the Lordship of Jesus? I want to do this in two ways. First, I just want to talk about uh, receiving the Lordship of Jesus with our head our mouth, our heart, and our hands. Those are four areas that I would suggest 
all of you who have surrendered your life to Jesus on a regular basis, ask yourself these questions. Am I being faithful to the Lordship of Jesus with my mind? Is, is Jesus the king of what I think about on a daily basis? You see, that seems so small. It's so private. We could, we could move on and nobody would even talk about the things that go on in our mind. But listen to me. Remember the definition of Lord. Supreme in authority in every area. And I bring this to your attention because I love you. You could look like a faithful believer, but in your mind, in your thoughts, in those secret moments in your world, it's not under the lordship of Jesus. Mouth is what I talk about under the lordship of Jesus. I know that many of you work in incredibly secularized places that have no desire to be under the lordship of Jesus. And it's a struggle for you. And I even thought, Lord, how do I stand here and speak to people who on a daily basis rub elbows and work with people who speak blasphemy about the Lord? And I want to encourage you that your words and the things that you say to people matter. They remember. When they curse God and you bless God, they remember. When the rest of the workforce is making fun of them and you are building them up, they remember. When they're looking for answers to life and one buddy says, do whatever your heart tells you and the other one says, i tell you what you should do, you should just whatever and you say, well, let me share with you my thoughts. There's a person in the Bible that's, and you begin to minister, they remember. So is Jesus Lord of your thinking? Is He Lord of your language? Is He Lord of your heart? What I mean by that is the things that we value, the things that we love, and the things that we yearn for and long for. If I were to give you an index card this morning, And I just want to ask you to write down on it three things that you long for. Would they honor God? Is He Lord of my heart? Is He Lord of my hands? The things that I do on a day-to-day basis, whether it's going to work or going to school or being a stay-at-home mom or whatever it may be, are the things that I do with my hands, with my life on a day-to-day basis Are they under the lordship of Jesus? There's another way to say what I'm talking about. This is the second way I want to ask the same question. But it it gets a little more specific in some areas. And it it isn't necessarily talking about our head and our mouth and our hands and our heart. Um, It's just talking about specific areas in our life. Is Jesus the Lord of my private time? The things that... I spend my time doing and the things that I'm about when it's a private moment, when nobody else is looking. Is Jesus the Lord of my bedroom? Specifically, is Jesus the Lord of my sexuality? The way that I handle myself sexually in the world? You say, well, this culture is so far out of whack on what it means sexually and there's so much confusion. Can I just put a full stop right there and just say for a moment... For centuries, culture has been out of whack 
with what the Word of God teaches about sexuality. We may be facing a new flavor of challenge, but can I just suggest to you that from the very moment that Adam and Eve bit the fruit, we've been struggling to understand biblical sexuality. But in my bedroom is Jesus Lord. In my wallet is Jesus Lord. Now again, if you're a first-time guest, I've spoke about money twice. You're never coming back, right? (laughs) This is what I want to ask. Is the way that I structure my finances. In other words, if you never gave your testimony to anybody, but they just came and opened your checkbook, or for some of you looked online at what you, because you don't do your checkbook anymore, but some of you do it online. If they looked at how you spend your resources, would they say that person cares about the kingdom of God? Now you're getting, un- I don't want you to feel uncomfortable. What I'm trying to do is to, is to drive home this point. That if Jesus is Lord, He's Lord of every area of our life. The last one is this. And then we'll talk about how. Calendar. If I get my phone right here off of this uh, seat and pull up my calendar and look at my appointments and how I spend my time, is Jesus the Lord of my time, right? Not just my bedroom, not just my wallet, but of my calendar as well. And so... Thomas says, my Lord and my God, my absolute supreme authority and master in every area of my life. That is who you are, Jesus. Now, the question is, how do I get there? I hope that you understand the incredible blessing and benefit. In fact, I thought to myself, do I need to take some time to develop what it is, the benefit, the blessing? And I thought, no, people understand what it means to be under the lordship of Jesus. They know the blessing. They know the encouragement. They know how awesome it feels to wake up and say, I am not God, you are. And I'm walking with you, Lord. So the question is how? We have a few moments left this morning. And what I want to do is to talk about the how. If you see your notes, you see there are four things. Key steps to truly making Jesus my Lord. The first is this. Agree with His assessment. Agree with His assessment. If you're making notes, write down Psalm 51. One of the most powerful verses in the Word of God because David has been caught in a season of sin. And he says, God, your opinion of this matter is true. Not my opinion. Not the opinion of the people around me. Oh, Lord, you are right. So you're justified when you act. If we are going to successfully bring every area of our life under the lordship of Jesus... We have to agree with the mind of God on matters. This is tremendously difficult to do in our culture and in our context because of worldview. But that's why we have to be students of God's Word. We have to know what it is that God says right and wrong and holy or unholy are worth pursuing or not worth pursuing. We have to know God's opinion on matters so that we can pursue that. 
Step one, agree with the assessment of God. I know that there's a lot of people speaking in your ear contrary to what God teaches. Whether you're a student or whether you're middle-aged or whether you're a very experienced adult, I know that everywhere that we go, we're tempted to agree with the assessment of someone other than God. But if we're going to be faithful at walking under the Lordship of Jesus, we must agree with the assessment of God. There's a courageous guy by the name of David, again, Psalm 51, who gives us a gorgeous picture of a bold moment in which he agrees with the assessment of God, even when it reflects negatively on his own life. He says, Lord, you are right and no one else. You are right when you judge. Agree with the assessment of God. Second, commit to his agenda. Agree with what he says and commit to what he says. Lord, I want my life to be the way you want for it to be. There's a passage in Matthew chapter 6, if you're making notes, specifically verse 24. Jesus is preaching to his disciples and he says something profound. He says, no man, no person can serve Two masters. Do you remember what the title Lord means? Supreme in authority and a master. No person can serve two of them. In other words, you're going to have to decide. And it's not an annual decision. And it's not a monthly decision. And it's not a weekly decision. It's a day-by-day. And for some of us, and in some context, a moment-by-moment decision that I am going to serve the agenda of God. So we have to agree with his perspective. We have to commit to what he wants for our life. And that can be conflicting because you may have some personal goals. You may have some personal dreams. You may have some things that you want for your life and you're trying to balance. Is that what God wants or is that what I want? If if we're going to be successful in walking under the lordship of Jesus, we have to agree with his vision of life. We have to commit to his agenda Here's the fun part. We have to move forward in His power. And it it may not sound like this to you. It sounds heavy to me as I'm saying these things. I mean, in my mind, this is a huge bar. I mean, the, the bar is high. We're talking about the Lordship of Jesus in every area of our life, every single, even the private areas coming under the Lordship of Jesus. It feels like I'm saying heavy stuff this morning. And you may uh, be feeling discouraged and saying, I can't do that. I can't do that. You can. Because we have, if we're in Christ, the power of God. The Spirit of God that lives on the inside that gives us the ability to do what it is that God has called us to do. If you're making notes, write down 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul is talking about the difficulties of doing what it is that God's called him to do. And he says something brilliant. I just want to share this with you before I give you this last point. Um, Paul says that the Lord's perspective towards him is that in Paul's weakness... God's power is perfected. So there may be some areas of your life that you feel weak. When you surrender that to God, His power is illuminated in your life. The last one is this. Embrace the transformation. 
I mentioned to you that it can be a little startling when God begins to work in your life. Well, wait a second. I never cared about that. Now God's working in my life and all of a sudden I care about people who have never heard the name of Jesus. What's going on? Listen, embrace the transformation. It's Sometimes it's unpredictable. Sometimes it's a little bit difficult. But listen, it is glorious to be transformed by the power of God. It's the most awesome thing that could happen to your life. Embrace the transformation. You will not be able to predict what God will do with your life because what He does with your life is so much greater than what you could have ever imagined. I leave you with a scripture out of Philippians chapter 1. Paul's writing a letter to the church at Philippi and he says, I'm confident of this, that He who began a good work in you is faithful and he will continue it on until the day of Christ Jesus. God is at work in us. We need to surrender to his lordship. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray and be dismissed this morning. But I want to close by praying for you specifically for this week that to a deeper degree And in new areas of your life, you would walk under the Lordship of Jesus. Heavenly Father, we come to you thanking you for the power of one person making one point that you are our Lord and our God. The riches of the implications of that statement is amazing, Lord. We too cry out that you are our Lord and our God. And we confess, and we don't have to confess because you see it, that it is not always easy to surrender our lives to the Lordship of you, O God. But we want to. Because we believe that your way is better than our way. And we believe that your wisdom is better than the wisdom of man. And we believe that your kingdom is greater than my kingdom. And so today we stand in agreement that you are the Lord of all things and we cry out to you, O God, would you be our Lord? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.